On today's episode of the Scale Well Podcast presented by Nudge, I'm talking to Matt Essex and Dr. Steve Firemilk, two of our key advisors and team members here at Nudge, all about the way that healthcare companies and health service companies communicate with their clientele and engage with consumers. The model is outdated, it's old, and it is incredibly inefficient. So what I hope you get from this conversation today is you know, a real solid understanding of different ways you can approach engaging and communicating with your clientele, how that can save you tons and tons of time, not only for yourself, but for your team, no matter how big it is. And a word you're going to hear over and over again is we're going to talk about asynchronous communication, what that means um, and why that's more appropriate for a lot of the back and forth that is happening with our clients or patients or consumers today. Also, if you're listening to this episode and you find yourself near your computer, go ahead and check out nudgecoach.com slash validation. That's nudgecoach.com slash validation. And check out the little internal validation study that Dr. Steve did for this episode that we'll touch on throughout. It's really interesting stuff and talks about a lot of the time savings he experienced in communicating with his patients. All right, guys, here we go. I'm sitting here with Dr. Steve Firemilk and Matt Essex, um, two guys we work with quite closely here at Nudge. And today we have a lot to talk about. We're actually going to turn this into a part one of several sessions. So hope you can stick around and learn from these guys as we have. But um, the idea for this conversation really started out with um, a internal validation study that, that Dr. Steve did, which um, really has some major implications for not only what we do, but generally how healthcare is delivered in this country. So we have a whole lot to unpack but we're going to start, you know, with big picture, start with big, broad concepts. So we have the perfect people here to do, with it, do it with us today. Um, so before we get into basically the details of, of Dr. Steve's uh, validation, how he was communicating asynchronous, asynchronously with about 85 patients, the time it took, the time savings involved, and what that looks like compared to how healthcare is delivered today. Um, let's start with basically that. Let's start with the big picture of a major problem facing the healthcare industry, um, how engagement happens in healthcare with patients, um, and the state of where that is today. So, Matt, um, if I guess we're going to start with you, and I'm opening this up with the biggest possible, broadest question ever, so we could go all over the place here. We'll try to keep it um, to, you know, 30 or so minutes today, but um, let's, can we start with basically taking a look at the way engagement happens in healthcare today and what really the implications are of that and what might, what is really wrong with it to start? What are the problems there? Sure. I mean, there's a a way that I frame it out in my mind. I don't know if it's going to resonate with others, but the way I look at it is that, you know, things really started to change as it relates to engagement, um, especially as, you know, consumers or whatever you want to call them, clients, patients, um, over the people that you're working with are, uh, when the smartphone uh, was introduced, you know, so we all know the world changed. Uh, people started using applications to manage just about every aspect of their life. And then text messaging, because the, the smartphone was, you know, so, so efficient and easy to use, uh, people started using SMS messaging more and more. And, and you, and you drop social media on top of that. And, and, uh, uh, and, and you have a total change in how people relate to one another. So, 
<clears throat> you know, it's not uncommon to have, uh, you know, even the closest relationships in your in our lives be generally managed through SMS uh, communications, you know, and, and very little uh, in-person or what, you know, would be called kind of synchronous encounters where you actually, you know, make time and have a phone conversation. When was the last time, you know, you, you did that with a friend or family member, or you actually make time to go grab lunch. You know, what, what we're finding is those kind of events are getting more and more spaced out. And what's taking the place is people are communicating through social media and they're communicating through uh, SMS messaging, which is, you know, just how, just how it is, you know, whether you like it or not, that's how, that's how things have really shifted. So from a healthcare and a health and wellness perspective, the, the big overarching question I have is if that's, if the world has changed so dramatically in that regard, and you can look at stats all across the board to validate everything that I'm saying, I don't take my word for it, but if the world has changed so much that way, what on earth makes us think that we're going to be effective at engaging with people in, in the old way through the telephone and through in-person contact and, um, and uh, sorry, I got distracted by something on the computer here. But um, just like I said, messages are flying in every two seconds. So it's hard <laughs> to have, have any time. So it exactly illustrates my point. But yeah, so, you know, why, why would people have an easy time, particularly given how busy people are and how they're used to managing things so efficiently through applications and just about every aspect of their lives? What, what makes us think as health professionals that, and, and healthcare providers that we're so special that, that people are going to make the time to come in week over week or month over month and have these encounters with us? Oh, come on, know? Matt. We're so special. They'll come and see us. <laughs> yeah. so, and I'm not saying that there's no, you know, just like with friends and family members and, and other relationships that we have, I'm not saying that we never get together with, with them in person. I'm just suggesting that it's becoming less frequent and because of that, we need to change our ways as health, as health professionals and realize that that's, that's what consumers want. We need to change. We need to adopt these new you know, digital health, mobile health uh, uh, tools and resources and be able to communicate with people in the way that they want to be communicated to. Otherwise, we're not going to have a chance. Yes, and, that's, and the science behind that is solid. If we don't match up our communication at the level of the person's, you know, interest in changing their behavior or not, if we just have them in the synchronous meeting locations at the office and that's the only time we communicate with them and then we wait until they come back, success is going to drop exactly because of what Matt was talking about, how our society has changed and how we need to match up how we provide our communication, our engagement, our healthcare to these people. And, and, and look at the burgeoning um, medical system that's starting to work with, you know, these distance uh, appointments when you have, um, uh, you know, video, video conferencing with your doctor, seeing them uh, just through uh, your smartphone. So they're starting to move towards this way. Yeah, absolutely. And that actually gets to a conversation we had just a couple of weeks ago with a, a doctor who runs an entirely virtual practice. And it's really amazing how he's able to manage it all very seamlessly. And it's a really high revenue practice too. Um, so don't, again, if we hear a lot that virtual has to be, you know, um, associated with the idea of being cheap, which is not at all the case, no. but, um, you or know, this impersonal. is yeah, impersonal. Yeah. 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 So yeah. this is already like a kind of master's course on the difference between 
um, asynchronous and synchronous communication and really fitting into um, the consumer's life better, the way they live um, already. Um, and so we just want to make sure that we're, you know, being clear for the audience, you know, asynchronous communication, again, the easiest ideas, you know, maybe you use Slack in your workplace um, or you, you know, just text with your friends as Matt and Steve both said. Um, that's asynchronous communication. Synchronous is the idea of taking the time to schedule a meeting, um, which the scheduling process by itself takes a lot of time and effort. And there are some interesting stats out there that I'll get to in a little bit when we get into uh, Steve's validation study. Um, but, you know, there, there's an amazing implica- implication for, you know, time and effort on the healthcare side in terms of professional time and effort. Also an amazing implication on the side of the individual consumers of healthcare and the time and effort and really the associated costs with all those time and effort on all sides. Um, but I think a good place to, to take it from here is basically providing some sort of visual reference for um, the way communication and engagement typically happens in healthcare today. And Steve, I've heard you describe this as a kind of pyramid, the way it is, is structured today in terms of synchronous versus um, asynchronous communications and even difference, differences in types of asynchronous communication. So Steve, can you kind of frame your, your pyramid idea of the way that commu- the communication structure is in healthcare today and what, what that might look like if it was flipped on its head? Yeah, no, if you think of the traditional, um, typical way that patients are interacting with um, a clinic, it's basically based on coming in to the clinic and scheduling appointments and doing everything. All that communication is happening and that that interaction is happening at the clinic itself. Yes, they're sent out to do other uh, testing and there may be um, test results on a phone call that is uh, given by uh, um, someone from the, from the office to the patient once the results come in. But it's predominantly based on the clinic's perspective, the timing of the clinic, when the physician or the, pre- the, the professional is available. Um, and then there, that is matched. And as we know, when it comes to scheduling, uh, the amount, the millions and millions, actually the billions of dollars that are lost in, in revenue from missing appointments is tremendous and it's not because patients don't want to come to their appointment it's it's because they can't get there for other reasons work kids or other uh, responsibilities that come up even though they've they've set their appointment so from that point um, the communication can only be um, given on the terms of the clinic the doctor the professionals themselves and in terms of how they supply that guidance because of that, because it's only based on those synchronous meetings, the guidance is very general. It's usually, you know, standards of care, lumping everyone into the same pretty uh, much treatment plans and hopeful outcomes. And it's, it's not very personal in that sense. So um, although we think it's personal because they're coming into the practice, it's actually not. And, um, and so if we flip that and we say we want to make the base of that, of this, um, interaction or this engagement or this healthcare providing, we want to flip it and say, okay, let's really look at patient-centered, the patient-centered approach, which is, you know, you look at the research, every healthcare group, every um, uh, doctor's office will tell you that they're focused on the patient, focused on the patient. But this, in reality, 
is unfortunately not true. And it's not because the doctors and the professionals don't want to be specifically on a personal level. The system doesn't allow it. So if we flip it and say, let's really do um, our practice, let's really make it in terms of what's best for the, for the patient or the, or the client, we go to what Matt said, and that is communicate with them, interact with them a majority of time, not all the time. There has to be, obviously, in a medical setting, there, you're, you're going to be some face-to-face um, situations where they're actually, you're, you're, you're putting your hands on them. But go to them and say, you know, what's best for them? What's best for them is the asynchronous. What's best for them is in this busy, stressed out life that our patients have, it's just as busy and stressed out as ours, that if we can provide them with some asynchronous guidance that is more specific and personally matched, we save a lot of time and the, uh, because we're not wasting it on unmatched uh, advice. So we're saving a lot of time and we're doing it on their terms which is more asynchronous using SMS, using those types of systems. Um, and Matt uh, really showed the validity of doing that. Absolutely. So uh, just a quick stat, uh, Dr. Steve, that I just pulled up on the fly and I can't, I'm not going to be able to cite this really well, but um, I just saw a stat flash by that um, is estimating that about $150 billion a year is, is wasted according to um, an article by, I think this is Luma Health. Um, just on no shows wow. um, in, in the healthcare industry. So pretty amazing stat that just the waste from no shows is, is that high. Um, and another, another interesting stat I just pulled up, and this is from a scheduling service called Doodle, which basically if you use anything like um, Asana or, uh, or Calendly or Calendly for scheduling, um, this service makes it easy to schedule. They estimate that according to a lot of research they've done on working with admins and, and office managers, um, that the average time to schedule a synchronous session, so an in-person or scheduled phone session, is about 32 minutes per meeting. Oh, um, man. Wow. Which is not just bananas. Wow. If you th- if you want to extrapolate that out, and, and we're going to do that here in a minute, because, Steve, maybe this is a good time to start to kind of transition into the little test you ran, the internal validation we're calling it, um, with 85 of your patients. So... Before we, we get in, before I turn you loose on this, Steve, um, if we start to think about it in terms of the 32 minutes p- per meeting, per in-person session or scheduled phone session that it takes on average to schedule everything and set it up, the average of $150 billion per year that the healthcare industry wastes on no-shows and use that as kind of the starting point for this conversation. Now let's take a look at what it looks like if, if Dr. Steve, you sit down and want to provide a contextualized bit of feedback, contextualized nudges, as we're calling them, obviously, um, coming from the nudge coach perspective, to 85 of your patients uh, just one morning. And, and we'll go from there into the implications of that. But let's, let's hear kind of how this idea came about for this in, internal validation and what it looked like for you. Yes, I often get this question of, you know, how long does this take um, using – the, um, the a platform that shows you information about um, a patient. And in this case, we're talking about lifestyle. My, my role here in my practice is I'm the director of lifestyle medicine. So we do our best to help people use their lifestyle behavior change um, in, uh, for medicine. And we've been successful with this because we do a good job matching up our messages to our individualized patients 
using technology. So I get this question all the time, you know, how long does that take? It's got to take a lot of time. You know, you open up there the platform and you look at it and you got to, you know, dig deep and find uh, all this information and you got to send it to them. And, and what does it take? So I said, you know what, I'm going to just sit down sometime. And I'm going to just blast out. I'm going to, I'm going to look at let's uh, uh, X number of patients and just see how long it takes me to do this. So basically, um, the assumption was that uh, the patients were part of my program for at least uh, three months and uh, that they have been remained in communication with me uh, during that three months, uh, either via um, video conferencing in person or just basically through SMS, uh, through a designated system that I use called Nudge. So um, the parameters were um, basically I opened my um, patient uh, page and then I scanned the information on there and I looked at the client's information, the patient's information. If I needed to get a refreshment on who that actual patient was, I would look up that information on my notes page. And then I would send them a very specific nudge, which basically means that it's specific to them. It meets um, their individuality in terms of their stage of behavior. And we can talk about that at a later time on, on where they are in their, um, uh, on their path of making a, a, a change in their lifestyle. Um, and then I basically sent that. That's versus a touch point. And Matt, do you want to touch on touch point a second um, and just say the difference between the, the, a nudge and a touch point? Because they're definitely different. And, and I want you to know that uh, there, this is an important uh, differentiation. We're talking about a touch point versus a nudge. Yeah, I, I, you know, the, the way I think about it is uh, when there, there's a lot to suggest, uh, this is probably the best way to frame it so that it makes sense to everybody is um, you ever you ever give somebody, a friend or a family member, sort of an attaboy, they do something good, maybe, maybe it's one of your kids, they do something good and you say, oh, nice job, nice job, Johnny, or good job doing this, but you don't qualify, you don't ever give any any uh, specific information about what it is they did good. It's just kind of this general statement of good work or good job. You know, it's, that's pretty common in our in our culture to be doing things like that. What the behavioral uh, science shows is, you know, Steve, I'm sure you'll elaborate on this, is, is that that's actually not received by the person on the other end very favorably. You know, um, it's, it's much more um, meaningful to people on the other end if you qualify it and you say what it is they did well and let them know that you actually are paying attention to what's going on, you know, in, in whatever situation you're in. So the same thing with the difference between a touch point and a nudge. A touch point may just be, hey, good luck on your run this week that's coming up. Um, just a general message or, you know, look at this article, you know, something like that. A nudge would be a little bit uh, deeper aspect. It would, it would communicate to the person that you have a good sense of what's going on with them. And it doesn't need to be a long message, but it's just, it's, it's what we say is contextualized. It, it has something specific information that you can only communicate if you were actually paying attention to what's going on in that person's life. And, and therefore, it becomes much more meaningful to them. Yeah, that's perfect. So, so what I did was I had uh, 85 patients that I went through and I actually looked at all their, at their information and I picked out a key uh, point that we had been working on or I had been guiding them on and I sent them a nudge. Um, an example, and I was just going through some of these examples. Uh, let me just read one of these. Um, 
So here, here's one. I here's a, here's the nudge itself. Hello, Bill. Um, your activity remains heart healthy. Curious on how your knee, uh, how you feel with your knee issues. You know, Dr. Steve. So that went out to him. I blasted that out from the information that I had on my screen. And now that information is not a touch. It's an actual nudge because I know that we're talking about heart health with this individual. I know that um, he has some knee issues. And I'm curious because I, can, I saw his activity had gone up a little bit. And, um, and I wanted to give him a, a, a concern to show I see how his knee was doing so that he doesn't overdo it. So those are, that's a specific, very simple nudge when it comes to a lifestyle. And, and so they're, they're very um, uh, specific and yet short. Think of yourself receiving messages um, that are long, um, most likely will not be returned. Um, so I went through 85 of these patients. And I, this is information where I've actually looked at their data individually. And it took me two and a half minutes per person when I averaged it out. So the total was uh, the total was about 200 minutes and um, I did take a break during that. Yeah, it was but just over think, three and a half hours with breaks, yeah. Dr. Steve. I just looked it up. Yeah, so when, you, so when you think of three and a half hours to give a nudge, a specific contextualized message to a patient took me, you know, two and a half minutes each under three and a half hours is phenomenal. And... Um, um, I'm get, and, and so now, the, let me get back to the, to the real benefit of this is what Matt was talking about, is those people didn't have to be sitting at their phone waiting for that message. Yes, they get a pop-up that says you have a message from your doctor, your nudge coach, or whoever it is, but they know that they can look at that later when they have time, and then when they have time, they'll respond to me or they won't respond to me, or if it's something that asks a question, they most likely will, and it took, you know, for some of these people, it took them, the ones that I asked questions, you know, you know, 24, 48 hours. It took three days for a couple people. So it takes a little time for them to get back to them. But that does not mean that they're not engaged with me. That actually is better because they're, they're, um, they're going to that nudge and looking at it when they're ready. And what we like to talk about is the mind share. We want to get part of their mind share. We want them to know that when I send them a nudge, when I send them a, a message, it's important enough that they say, you know what, this is going to take up some of my time today that, uh, or a minute or whatever, but, but it's worth it because it's not going to be just some general message about, hey, drink more water or um, did you take your medications today, just something general. This is specific to them. So they see a value in that. So taking some of their mind share with this is very valuable, and I'm sure we'll talk about that at a later time. But this technology and matching up the communication, like what Matt was saying, what our consumers want, is a way to grab some of that mind share as opposed to them saying, I just cannot take any time to do this outside of my normal communication mode, which in this case, we're talking about SMS. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a really powerful point. And I just, you know, kind of want to re-hit these just first time-saving metrics because they, they kind of blow my mind and, and really get you thinking about what if we did flip the status quo in the way healthcare engagement happens. So you're talking about, about two minutes, 25 seconds per nudge, and this is contextualized feedback with a specific goal that you're basically sending to these people. Um, to 85 patients, took a little over three and a half hours, right at three and a half hours, I think, um, for all of those. And if we're looking at trying to create scheduled sessions with all these people, and again, we're not, we're not proposing that you out and out replace every 
synchronized communication or scheduled session with just a simple nudge. That's not, you know, practical, but um, three and a half hours total for a touch point with all these people that was meaningful and targeted versus 32 minutes per person just to do the scheduling to get the person in the door to have a productive session. Um, that's already about 10 X time savings and you haven't even gotten started. The practitioner probably isn't even involved yet. That's probably an admin's time um, that you're just, really just pissing away their time. There's no better way to put it. Um, scheduling all of those sessions, 32 per, I mean, what that's 85 patients, 32 minutes per session. That's 2000 something minutes. That's about a week, a little over a week. If your admin was doing literally nothing but scheduling your sessions, a little over a week of their time, their effort, the amount you're paying them and all the other stuff they could be doing. Um, that is being dedicated to just scheduling those people to come in the door. So it gets really crazy if you start thinking about just replacing a few interactions with asynchronous communication over time. Well, yeah, exactly right, Phil. And, and, and there's, the, there's a couple bigger problems that you mentioned. So, so uh, what if you don't have an admin? What if you're doing the scheduling yourself, like a lot of people are? Yeah. Um, you have a smaller practice. Or how about this? What, how what's the problem with that for the, for the actual person themselves? You know, what's their time worth? You know, so you're taking up a bunch of their time that they don't have um, in, in all likelihood. They're trying to make a, some pretty substantial changes in their lives. And so we're taking a bunch of time just to get them scheduled. And then we're asking them to drive over to our office and have a, and the real issue with synchronous models from a healthcare or a health and well, wellness perspective is there's only so much you can accomplish. There's only so much catch up you can do as a professional to try to figure out what has been going on in this person's life. You know, uh, if they're the first time seeing you, you, you got to get caught up in years. You know, if they're, if you haven't seen them for a month, you got to get caught up on a month. Good luck doing that in any sort of efficient manner. So what happens is a whole lot of things get missed um, along the way. And, and, and we, we have these, you know, highly trained health professionals and, and I you know I don't care how brilliant we may be or how much education we may have but if you don't have the information if you don't really understand what's going on with the person in front of you there's very little you can do to support them or to you know or to you know provide proper guidance to them and that that is the bigger overarching problem with what's happening across the sectors you know whether you're looking at fitness whether you're looking at wellness or whether you're looking at healthcare it doesn't matter by and large we're all doing the same thing and it's, it's, it's kind of becoming madness, again, if you, if you go back to how the world has changed with the smartphone, with social media, and with how people are relating to one another. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So you touched on a couple of, I think, I'm going to call them economic externalities, too, of, of um, this synchronous model, predominantly synchronous model. Um, and kind of fleshing some of those out, I think, gets really interesting as well, Matt. So if we talk about the tendency to try to cram, like you said, you know, a year's worth of catch up or a, a quarter. So three months of catch up or, you know, even just a month of catch up um, with, with no information and data on what's happened in between to catch up or to, to fill you in in between. Then you, you end up with these sessions that not only took all this time to schedule and set up, but they stretch out into 30 minute, 45 minute, hour-long sessions and I don't know the exact date on this but you know I'm I can only assume that um, the amount of recall that someone would have after an hour-long session 
is extremely right. limited. Um, do you guys have any experience with that? Yeah, just in yeah. Terms of and what's remembered? We, yeah, that's that's a great point because relying and, and everyone out there that's worked with a patient or client will agree with this. Uh, relying on a person's recall of what they've done for the last 30 days, let alone the last day, is the, you cannot, that's not valid. It, it's not reliable information. You, even think about yesterday. What did you do yesterday? You know, what did you take your medication yesterday? Did you, how far did you exercise? Did you exercise? How far did you go? What did you eat? What were the, how much water did you drink? You know, you, you start to do the recall and, and the reliability of that information is wor- is really worthless. So uh, you can, and then you also spend your time catching up, as you were saying, on things that aren't real that are guiding you in the wrong direction because you're relying on that recall. Matt, Matt what, do you, what experience do you have? Is that similar to what, you're, what you see? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of data on that point as well, you know, to, to you know, a lot of educational data, you know, with sort of didactic learning or, or um, lecture-based type sessions, which um, in, in terms of how much uh, information people can really absorb in, in any, you know, particular period of time. But, I mean, I, I still go back to thinking that, you know, the, the real issue is just that, that you know, that's – this is not how they want to be communicated with in the first place. We're, we're, what we're essentially doing when we run models like that, un, unknowingly, I'm sure, you know, is, is we're taking away the person's autonomy. Um, we're asking them to fit into a system that they have no control over. And then we're essentially trying to take control for their health and well-being. And, and, and anyone who's been in healthcare or, or you know, in, in, in any sort of health profession will tell you that that's the biggest mistake that gets made among, you know, sort of young professionals is, you know, you, you, you cannot take responsibility for somebody else's health. You know, we, mm. we, we know we have enough, a hard enough time, you know, sort of managing our own health, you know, so trying to care for and take responsibility for others, but it has to become about support and, and empowerment and things like that. We can't force change. But these models, when we're trying to cram so much into one session and play so much catch up, they some some degree sort of force us to get into this sort of prescriptive mode and start, you know, giving people directives. And and then we actually do something even even more um, crazy, you know, is we actually think that they're going to follow them when they leave. And then when they come back a month or two from now, and that's assuming life doesn't happen. I mean, uh, you know, given the scheduling data that we just talked about, I mean, the likelihood is the really sad part about this is, is usually we're, and we can get into sort of the behavioral science of this, but, but the, the challenges with this is the people that kind of need it the most that are struggling to make major lifestyle changes um, and are relying on us to support them through that. They're also the same people that are most likely to get lost in the, in the mix. So what happens is they're struggling to make a change you know, to begin with, they, they, they're trying to, you know, adapt to our sort of system for working with them. So they're coming in, having these sessions with us. Let's say, you know, something happens with one of their kids and they have to reschedule the appointment. And a lot of times I think, you know, it's just so difficult to get those things rescheduled and there are people having trouble just finding the time to just do the scheduling part, as you've mentioned, mm-hmm. is they'll just fall off. And we don't even realize it. As health professionals, we're trying to manage and work with, you know, um, anywhere from dozens to hundreds of people at a time. And and we're probably not even going to notice that the person that most likely needed needed us the most has, has fallen away and we just don't know where they went. 
Yeah, I think you touched on something that I can't believe we haven't brought up yet, um, Matt, which is kind of some engagement principles or ideas around <laughs> engagement principles and the implications around them um, that we're, you know, we're working really hard to develop over here. Um, and they, I know you guys have top of mind all the time. So just to kind of get everybody up to speed, we're developing and we talk about this often in, in terms of something that we, we've coined as, as health engagement science. So um, I don't know which one of you would want to kind of take this and, and kind of frame what health engagement science means from a high level, um, just so everyone knows what we're talking about when we touch on that in the future, because I think that's going to be an important topic for the next time we get together for part two of this conversation. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw my first uh, two cents worth. So health engagement science has to do with basing our interactions with helping our patients um, move from a certain behavior to um, moving towards a more positive behavior for positive health in a scientifically uh, supported manner, which includes the human and the technology elements. We've spent a lot of time talking about the SMS, so which is very important, but it's not um, worth the, the keys on your computer if there's not a human typing them in. So we're not talking about automated messaging. We're talking about engagement science that uses both the human element and the technology element to make it uh, match the, the patients that we're with, which will lead to decreased time, more efficiency, and more success. Because people basically go through stages when they make behavior changes. And unless they are, uh, they progress through those, the success rate is uh, for, for um, sustained healthy behaviors, if you will, is pretty much not going to be possible. Because uh, think of a great example, think of um, New Year's resolutions. I mean, how many of us have made a New Year's resolution <laughs> and we've decided we're going to make really huge changes in our nutrition, huge changes in our physical activity, uh, and so on last a day or two, because we really weren't ready for that type of a change in our life, even though we felt like we might have been. Now, the, the behavior science will tell us that if you're going to engage someone and help them along, you know, this healthy maybe nutrition track, is to find out where they're at and to work with them in a specific way that will allow them to move forward and take real action that will fit within their lifestyle. And in this case, using this uh, technology to support that. Matt, did you want to add anything to that? Is that uh, sound okay as an intro? Yeah, yeah I mean, I, you know, I, just to provide a little bit of context, I mean, I think that there's um, something to be said for, you know, this, the, you know, if we talk about engagement, the science of engagement is really more, uh, it, it's more underpinned by behavioral science than it is biological type sciences, you know, um, so a, a lot of health professionals uh, are, get, get a tremendous amount of training in, in you know, and specialize in all these sorts of, uh, you know, hard sciences, like, you know, physiology and pharmacology and, you know, uh, pathophysiology, and you just go down the line, neurology, you know, but the thing is that uh, a lot of the conditions, a lot of the things that people are struggling with in our culture and in, in the U.S., um, especially is they're more behavioral, behaviorally driven. They are, they are choices that people are making 
because they they are busy and, and that are that are causing um, issues with their health. So you know, while it's useful to have all those other sciences, if we don't know how to relate to them, i.e., engage with them, you know, then how are we going to really make it make a difference? And a lot of times, what ends up happening is we're sort of inadvertently communicating over their head. You know, um, we're 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 giving them too much too soon. You know, uh, and and. And again, we're not even aware of it because we don't, we don't as health professionals tend to get a lot of training in behavioral science. And we don't have time to engage that way. The -hmm. system isn't set up for it. Yeah. System isn't set up for it. That's a great place to actually leave it so that we can have plenty to dive into next time. But incorporating, you know, health engagement science into our next conversation is going to be a big part of it. Part two, probably a part three, probably a part four. So I'm definitely going to have you guys back on. Um, but you know, just, just so everybody knows out there, we'll be talking more about, you know, how we think we should be approaching some of these, these big questions in healthcare, um, what, you know, a behavioral science methodology looks like, how we propose to incorporate some consumer centric health technology, some of the engagement focused design principles we're going to be using going forward. Um, so definitely listen back in when I have these guys on again, it's always awesome. I'm sure you've gotten a lot out of this, um, if you want to pop over to the Nudge Coach website, I'm going to post a little information about Dr. Steve's internal validation. Um, I'm going to put that at nudgecoach.com slash validation. Um, look for that when this episode comes out. Um, we'll have that ready for you guys to take a little bit of a closer look at basically what he did, what some of the examples of the nudges he sent were. And I'm going to do a little bit of a breakdown of the time savings and the, you know, the larger implications of that. Um, as much as I can fit in before this episode is published. But um, Dr. Steve Firemilk, Matt Essex, really appreciate you guys joining me today um, and look forward to talking to you guys again soon. Thank you. Thank you. 